Colossians chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts and with him Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him, and Jesus, who is called Eustace. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Man, I'm going to miss that video. Talk about get you hype before you preach, right? Hey, we are in our last week through this New Testament letter. Um, we have spent 14 weeks. There is four chapters. There is 95 verses, and there is 1,979 words that we have studied word by word and line by line through this New Testament letter. And what we said is we started this back in January. And at the beginning of 2021, in light of 2020, what we said is um, we need a clear view of Jesus. When everything else seems to be burning to the ground and there's chaos everywhere, what we need is a clear view of Jesus Christ. And that is the point of this New Testament letter. Um, I'm excited because next week we'll begin a new sermon series entitled, The Bible Doesn't Say That. And so oftentimes there are sayings and things attributed like, well, you know, the Bible says that cleanliness is next to godliness. Yeah, that's Benjamin Franklin. That ain't even in the Bible, right? And the reason why this is important is not to just get a correct view of God's word, but to know God's word rightly and to love God deeply in light of that. Also, I'm excited because next week with this sermon series, we will start back with communion. And so communion is a very distinct thing that we participate in here at Westside. And so we got a lot of things coming that I'm really excited about. But this week, if you looked at these verses, you were probably thinking like, goodness gracious, how in the world can we preach a sermon about these list of names? And then you were probably thinking, I'm glad I don't have his job to have to say those names out loud, right? And so what we have today is almost like um, the author's acknowledgments that if you turn into a book, you'll see the author um, thanks anybody that helped participate in the writing of the book. And, and here's why I think this is so important. And before we begin anything, one thing that we can learn from this list of names is this. All of God's work takes all of God's people. 
All of God's work takes all of God's people. That when we think about the Apostle Paul, we almost think of the Lone Ranger. Just riding around, writing books of the Bible, bringing dead people back to life and preaching the gospel. But in reality, the Apostle Paul lists some seven names that he says helped him while he's in prison write this letter and to fuel this ministry. And just in God's sovereignty, we would end the letter today on Mother's Day. But I think there's something significant that sort of can be married together. We see this list of names forever recorded in Scripture. I mean, these names are forever recorded in Scripture with a description about the lives that they've lived. In short, what we see today is a list of legacies, of lives lived. And today we honor the women in our lives who in a way have lived and left us with a legacy. And so the big idea and the thesis today is this. Christians live to leave a legacy. Christians live to leave a legacy. That's what I see when I look at this list of names. But when we ask ourselves, what is a legacy? I think a legacy is this. A legacy is living a life worth leaving in other people. That's what a legacy is. I mean, when we think about great lives that are lived, um, from Martin Luther King to Mother Teresa to Billy Graham to you name it, great lives, lives lived for the glory of Jesus Christ are still lived today among their followers. And so when we talk about living a life worth leaving in others, Oftentimes we get confused and we think about, yeah, a legacy is sort of like an inheritance. No, um, the Bible does speak about leaving an inheritance. Uh, Proverbs says that a wise man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Even to your grandchildren, the Bible says that you should leave an inheritance. And some of you are like, I barely have a retirement, much less an inheritance from my grandkids, right? But it's not just about physical wealth. Um, The book of Ecclesiastes would say that you can work hard to leave your children money and your grandchildren money, but in reality, um, they're probably going to squander that wealth and just leave it behind. What's the difference in a legacy and an inheritance? Well, I love what John Maxwell says. John Maxwell says this, an inheritance is something that you leave with people. A legacy is something that you leave in people. That's what we're talking about today. That a life that was lived for something that mattered so much that it kept on after these people were gone. Because the reality is when we step back and take a look at our life, what are we really living for? What are we working for? The Puritans had a poem and a prayer that said this, this life will soon be passed and only what's done for Christ will last. That's what I see in these verses. So I want to look at a list of these legacies. I see nine names that are mentioned. So my sermon has nine points today. And I knew just moms, you were like, what did I want today? You wanted a sermon that had nine points. And so that's what we're doing today, okay? The first legacy that I see is this, is a legacy of service. Look at Tychicus. You know, you can be grateful for a lot of things today. And one of them is that your parents didn't name you Tychicus, okay? Um, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and a faithful minister. 
and a fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we're doing and that he may encourage your hearts. Tychicus' name means fortunate. He's mentioned five other times in the New Testament. And every time that he's mentioned in the New Testament, he is literally uh, he's literally Paul's like get it done guy. So if Paul's in prison and he needs a letter delivered, by the way, Tychicus is the letter carrier for Colossians. What we see is, is that the Apostle Paul never went to Colossae. But in the book of Acts, in Acts 19, the Apostle Paul stands up and he preaches the gospel. There's a guy there by the name of Epaphras who hears the gospel, gets saved, and then goes back to his hometown Colossae and does what we learned last week. We said that the gospel goes viral when we talk to God about people and talk to people about God. Epaphras shares the good news and then the church in Colossae is planted. Well, Epaphras travels back to fill Paul in on what's taking place because a heresy's crept into the church. Epaphras ends up getting locked up with the Apostle Paul, right? Gangsters for Jesus, as I like to call it, right? And then they write a letter back to the Christians, and Tychicus is the carrier of the letter. He's the guy, listen, who gets things done. He leaves a legacy of service. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Um, you know, I want to serve in church. I don't know what my spiritual gift is. You know, I'm not the upfront guy. I think you always got to teach, always got to do big stuff. Um, there was an article that ran a number of years ago through NPR. And what they did is they surveyed 5,000 obituaries from the New York Times. And they studied what made these lives so significant. Through all of the research in the 5,000 obituaries, there was one word that repeated itself over and over and over. It was astronomical to see how this word kept popping up in obituaries. And it was the word help. That people often were remembered and recognized for their lives for helping and serving other people. The obituary said this person was always willing to help and to care for others. Listen, when we look at the life of Tychicus, it is a legacy of service. And here's what's important in the application that I believe that we can make to our life. All service, please listen to me. All service is significant in the kingdom of God. All service. I don't care what you do, if it's holding a door open, if it's serving in nursery, if it's teaching kids side, no matter what it is, all service is significant in the kingdom of God. And do you know what the church of Jesus Christ needs today? We need a lot more of Tychicuses. Tychicuses, that's a lot of S's, right? We need people who are just willing to serve. Do you need chairs? Do you need a table set up? Do you need this, that, and the other? At the end of the day, we see a life that is dedicated to service to others is a legacy that is left behind. The second legacy that I see is this. A legacy of change. This is beautiful. Look in verse 9. And with Tychicus is Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place. Um, does the name Onesimus sound familiar to any of you? It should, because we studied the New Testament book of Philemon, which involves Onesimus. Onesimus was a runaway slave. 
Back then, the Roman government and the way that it worked, if you were indebted to someone, you literally worked for them and they were literally your master. And some of you are like, well, that sounds a lot like Sally Mae and my student loan debt, right? Okay. And what you did was, is you worked off your debt. What we know through scripture is that Onesimus ran away from his master and ended up in prison, check this out, in God's sovereignty next to the Apostle Paul. Can you imagine that conversation? Like, what are you in here for? I ran away. What are you in here for? I murdered a guy. And then Paul, what are you in here for? For preaching Jesus, right? For preaching Jesus. And Onesimus, probably through conversation, says to Paul that he ran away from his master, Philemon. Well, the Apostle Paul knew Philemon. And what we see in the New Testament letter of Philemon, listen, the whole book is based around relationship reconciliation. That Onesimus and Philemon were in ought with each other, but the Apostle Paul was in good standing with both of them. And this is what we learned. If you are in good standing with two people who are not in good standing with each other, it is your job as a Christian to pursue reconciliation. But here's the legacy of change that we see with Onesimus. Onesimus didn't love Jesus and was a runaway and then meets Jesus and his life changes forever. And a relationship that he thought was so dead and irreconcilable through the good news of Jesus Christ, he became reconciled back again with that relationship. Listen, I get excited to preach this because this is good news. Do you know what we learned from that? We learn that there is no relationship, please understand this, there is no relationship so dead that it cannot be resurrected through the love and grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. That's what we see through the life of Onesimus. Do you know what else we see? We see that Onesimus broke generational chains. That more than likely Onesimus was a first generation believer in his family. At Westside, we have a lot of first-generation Christians who go back from their father, their grandfather, their great-grandfather didn't love the Lord, but now they follow Jesus. Listen, I'm here to tell you that through the legacy of Onesimus, some of us in here today are breaking generational sins in our family. No more alcohol, no more drugs, no more addiction, no more divorce. Listen, for some of us in the room today, a legacy ends of sin and death, and a legacy begins of grace, love, forgiveness, and joy found in Jesus Christ. That is the legacy that we see through Onesimus. The third legacy that I see is this, a legacy of encouragement. The Apostle Paul lists three names. He says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you've received instruction. And if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who's called Justice, I love that, right? So Jesus was kind of a common name whenever Jesus was born. It, it, it means it's a derivative from the Hebrew of Joshua, Yeshua, God saves. But now in Christianity, they were like, hey, Jesus, you can't be Jesus because we worship Jesus, and people are going to totally think that we worship you, so you're justice, right? I love that name change. These are, listen to this, the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. 
When Paul says that these are the only fellow, uh, fellow workers of the circumcision, what he's saying is these are the only Jewish friends that have stayed with me. By ethnicity, the Apostle Paul was Jewish before he converted to Christianity. And you can almost hear like a level of sadness as he writes that. That even my Jewish brothers and sisters have left me and these men are the only one that are left. Aristarchus is mentioned a number of other times in the New Testament. Um, in the book of Acts, he's almost killed in a riot for preaching Jesus. Mark is actually the writer of the gospel of Mark. He was like Peter's secretary, his eyewitness. And then Justice, we don't really know much about other than he's listed here. What's the significant about these men's lives? Paul says... They've been a comfort to me. The word comfort is only used one time in the New Testament, that particular word, and it's used here. In the etymology, we actually use it in science and medicine about a drug, a, a pain drug for anybody. The Apostle Paul says that these men were a comfort to him when he was in affliction. Do you know what some of the most powerful ministry that you can have is? Some of us say, you know, man, I don't know where to serve. I don't know what to do. Um, I want to do something great for the Lord and significant. I just don't know what that is. Do you know what one of the most faithful ministries that we see in the scriptures is? Is the ministry of presence. And here's what I mean by that. You know somebody who's maybe just lost a family member or they're going through a hard time, cancer treatment or any type of suffering. And you simply pull up to their house and you lay down the tail of your truck bed and you have a Coke and you say, hey, I just wanted to stop by and say, hey. And you just listen. You just simply listen. Some of the greatest ministry that ever takes place takes place in just simple moments like that. The word encouragement means to literally put courage back into somebody. And I don't know about you, but there is a lot of discouragement in the world. Amen? And what would it look like if Christians, rather than fighting on Facebook about your political party or a vaccine or wearing a mask or something ignorant like that, you actually were known for just loving and simply encouraging people? What would it look like to put courage back into people? From these men's lives, we see a legacy of encouragement is a game changer. The next legacy that I see is this, a legacy of faithfulness. Look at verse 12. Epaphras. We love this guy, Epaphras. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always, struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. This is good. This isn't in my notes, but just feel led to do this. Oftentimes, people are like, Jason, Jason, um, Pastor Jason, please pray for me. I just want to know the will of God. I just want to know the will of God for my life. What's, the, what's God's will for me? I've got this job, and we're thinking about buying this house, and, and maybe a new vehicle. And so I just want to know what God's will is. Is it Chevy or Ford, and Chevy or Ford, or Chevy or Ford? And I just want to know God's will. And oftentimes we think God's will is like this little magical dot. And if we're not on this dot, then everything else in our life is just going to be completely out of order. And we say things like, I want to find the one. 
the one. I just need to find the one for God's will for my life. And then we live a life filled with so much guilt and anxiety and paranoia because we don't know if we're in the will of God. Question, what is God's will for your life? It is that you would be assured primarily in your salvation and that you would stand mature. That's God's will, that you would be an emotional and spiritually mature person who stands assured in all of these things. And Epaphras, for he bore witness that he has worked hard for you and those in Laodicea and Heropolis. We've learned this about Epaphras. His name means lovely, that he was the church planter there in Colossae. And Paul tells us how he was faithful in his ministry. He was a prayer warrior. It literally says that he struggles on your behalf. The word struggle is almost like an MMA UFC term, right? It means to grapple in prayer on behalf of these people. Do you know what's so incredible? Is when the Apostle Paul says, hey, listen, this guy, he's a prayer. I mean, he is like a prayer. That's really significant. And oftentimes people will just ask, man, what can I do? I just don't feel like I'm serving. I mean, maybe you're in a season of life where you're ill and you feel like you can't serve as much as you want. Or maybe you have small children and you're like, man, if I could just get out of this season and really enter into a season of service. Um, there's a story told of the great preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And on a Sunday evening, four young men went to visit to hear him preach. And they got there early because they wanted to tour the Metropolitan Tabernacle and hear the famous preacher he was the pastor of probably one of the first megachurches of some 6,000 people. And as they were walking around the Metropolitan Tabernacle, they bumped into Charles Spurgeon. And Spurgeon said, do you want me to give you a tour? And they were like, uh, yeah, that would be cool. And so Spurgeon's showing them around. And then one young man asked this question. Mr. Spurgeon, what is the secret of your ministry? And how does your ministry have such a profound effect around the world. And Spurgeon responded and said, the secret of my ministry can be found in the boiler room. Back then, the boiler room would have been like what we would call a utility closet. It's where, you know, the furnace or something would have been. And the boiler room was underneath his pulpit. As they approached the boiler room, Mr. Spurgeon opened the door and said, this is the secret of my ministry. And they saw in that room a room lined with people on their knees praying out loud to God. Spurgeon had a group of people that were under the pulpit that prayed before the service, while he was preaching, and after the service. And he said, this is the reason why my ministry has such a reach. Please listen to me. There's a lot of things that we can't do, but what we can do is faithfully pray on behalf of other people. I don't know about you, but I stand before you today as the product of other people's prayers. That Westside right now is experiencing this season of life because we are the present product of past prayers that have been prayed on behalf of people. What we learn from Epaphras' life is there might not be much you can do, but what you can do is leave a legacy of prayers and faithfulness. The next legacy that I see is this, number five, is a legacy of friendship. Look in uh, for, uh, verse 14. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you. 
Um, Luke was a doctor that we see in the New Testament and that he was sort of maybe like a type A personality. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, right before the Apostle Paul literally is executed by the Roman emperor, all of his other friends had abandoned him. And the Apostle Paul says, Luke alone is with me. Luke was funded by a very wealthy man who told him to go write down all of the eyewitness accounts of Jesus. And that's where we have the gospel of Luke. But what we see through the scriptures is this. This is so profound. That the apostle Paul, who by the way got a special vision of the third heaven, and it was so incredible that he was like, I can't even talk about it because your face will melt off. Okay, This apostle Paul, who wrote a majority of the New Testament, needed and wanted and had a friend. Listen, in Christianity, there's no such thing as the Lone Ranger. And the Lone Ranger even had Tonto, right? And do you know what I've learned about all through the years? That friendship is a lot more like a crock pot than it is a microwave. You know, we come into church with the expectation of community and friendship, and it's just going to be boop, 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 and it's going to be real easy, and we're going to be BFFs forever, and it's going to be awesome, and it's going to be great. And actually, friendship takes a lot of work and a lot of grace and a lot of forgiveness, But listen to me, the people that I have seen who have a strong, healthy relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ at least have one or two Lukes. And can I just speak to the men for just a moment, right? I know it's Mother's Day, but I need to speak to the men. Hey, guys, look up here. We're really bad at friendship. Like, really, really bad at it. We think a night at Buffalo Wild Wings watching the game, we're like, oh, man, I got the best friends in the world, right? This is great. And in reality, we have no community and nobody to lean on. I would exert you that the Apostle Paul, one of the manliest men who have ever lived, had a friend that he confided in and that he needed. And listen, this is going to sting a little bit, all right? And you know whenever the dentist says that this is going to sting a little bit, what he really means is this is going to make you want to punch me in the face. This is kind of one of those things, all right? But look up here. Loneliness is a choice. Loneliness is a choice. And in the church of Jesus Christ, we see a legacy of friendship that is left behind. It's a powerful legacy to leave. Number five, I see, um, I'm sorry, uh, number six, I see a legacy of warning. Look who else is here. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Wah, 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 right? Demas is the fly in the ointment. He is the turd in the punch bowl, okay? Um, we know about Demas. He's mentioned another, uh, a few other times before this in Colossians. Then he's mentioned in Colossians. And then the next time that he's mentioned, remember when I said 2 Timothy is the last letter that the Apostle Paul wrote right before he died? Timothy's mentioned again, and it says this. Do your best to come to me, Timothy, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. And he's gone to Thessalonica. You know what I love about the Bible is that it's honest, like brutally honest. And there's people who argue, who are like, well, Paul didn't say that he left Jesus. Paul said that he left me, Paul. But Paul says Demas left because he was in love with with this present world, which is a command in Scripture that we have to not love the world in the way of the world, but to love 
Jesus. You see, Demas shows us a legacy of warning, and it's this. It is not how you start. It's how you finish. Everybody starts. Listen, I didn't know this. I didn't know this as a young pastor. I had no clue. I thought when people came and they were like, hey, we're here and we're on board for the mission, I was like, cool, awesome, you're here forever. That's great, right? No. And what breaks my heart now is seeing people that I've prayed with and loved and walked with Jesus with and have experienced the grace of God and God has answered prayers in their life no longer walk with the Lord. I was on the phone this past week with a pastor who said just recently in 2020 that he wrote down everybody that he graduated Bible school with. It was some 27 names and he checked up on them and only four of them are in ministry today. Listen, it's not how you start. It's how you finish. And listen, for some of us today, Demas in the grace of God is a warning to us. Because if you're gauging if your relationship with Jesus Christ is becoming lukewarm or cold, here's a telltale sign. You always refer to the past tense. Oh, you know, man, back when we were at such and such church, we used to, you know, we would serve and this happened back when we, you know, and whenever I used to and back in summer, any time that you refer to the work of God in your life and it's in the past tense, it is a warning and a red flag for us because God is interested in doing something in our lives in the here and now. Our God is not a God of the past, but a God of the present. And we see that Demas leaves us with a legacy of warning. Legacy number eight is this, the legacy of perseverance. Um, Anytime I'm preparing a sermon, I always look for a golden nugget. That's just for me. It's totally for me. Because if it doesn't speak to me, then there's no way that it's ever going to speak to you. But I love what the Apostle Paul says in verse 17. He says this about this guy, Archippus. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have been given. I love this. So we don't know anything about this guy. He's not mentioned anywhere else in scripture or anything else. But apparently he had a specific ministry and was serving. And apparently what it looks like is, is that he was beaten down and ready to give up, right? Um, it's called Bread Truck Monday, wherever like, you know, you're in ministry on Sunday and then on Monday you're like, bro, I got a letter of resignation. I would love to drive a bread truck. I'm out of here, okay? And what we see the Apostle Paul says is, don't give up and fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Man, that's such a good word. And listen, for some of you in here today, I believe that through the power of the Holy Spirit and God's unchanging word, God is saying this to you today. Don't give up. Don't stop. Don't stop. Yes, there was a season of life. And yes, there was turmoil. And yes, there was storms. And yes, maybe you wandered away or this, that, and the other. But at the end of the day, don't give up. Keep pursuing the Lord. Keep pursuing those passions. Keep pursuing those dreams that God placed in your heart. Keep changing lives. And what I love about this is ministry is received. It is not achieved. That it is a gift that God has given and a legacy of perseverance. It's what I said, that it's not about how you start. It's about how you finish. 
And then the last legacy that I see is this, a legacy of grace. Paul, look at what he says. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains and grace be with you. I love that. It's so haunting, isn't it? Remember my chains. I, I read that in like a Michael Corleone voice. Like, remember my chains, right? Remember, right? Because he, we know from history that he's chained either to the wall or another Roman guard. And we know that Timothy's mentioned in verse 1, and Timothy probably served as his secretary, writing down in longhand what Paul was dictating. But now at the end of the letter... The Apostle Paul grabs the pen and he signs it. And he said, I, Paul, write this in my own hand. And then, and then here's Paul's depart. Listen, 14 weeks, four chapters, 97 verses, over a thousand words. What's Paul going to leave us with? What's the summary of it, Paul? What's the last thing you're going to say? You're in jail. You don't know if you're going to live. Sum it up for me. What do you got for me? Grace be with you. It's a legacy of grace. That's what the whole Christian life is about. And do you know what's interesting? How this letter started 14 weeks ago, we read in verse 1 these words, grace to you. That West Side, that when we started this New Testament book and that when we opened our Bibles and we prayed that God would speak to us, what was happening in a supernatural way is that grace was coming to us through the very word of God. And now, as we conclude this journey from studying this letter, what Paul says is that we now have grace that is with us as we leave from here. So the guiding question that I leave you with today and on this Mother's Day is this. What legacy are you leaving behind? What legacy are you leaving behind? What legacy are you leaving in people? What does that look like? A legacy of grace? A legacy of faithfulness? Of perseverance? Don't give up. Keep following Jesus. And you would be surprised that maybe someday in heaven you have no idea as to what your life that you left with others would have an impact for. Heavenly Father, God, we come before you today so grateful, grateful for your word that we get to study this letter and that for 14 weeks, God, we've seen people come to know Jesus for the first time. We've seen people take steps of obedience, whether it be through baptism or serving. And God, the question that we're left with now is what are we going to do with this? God forbid that we just studied another book of the Bible and then nothing changes. God, may we be doers of the word. For some of us in here today, when we look at this list of a legacy, one specifically speaks to us. Maybe it's a legacy of warning. Maybe it's a legacy of friendship, of faithfulness, of perseverance. No matter what it is, God, we pray for your Holy Spirit to comfort those who need comforting, convict those who need convicting, but may it compel all of us to live a life that is worth leaving in other people and not to live for these things of the world and not to get up in 
controversies and political parties and all of these things, but at the end of the day, to live for an audience of one, for Jesus Christ, whom sits at the right hand of God because the grave is empty and the throne is occupied and everything now in our life for the way in which we use money, for the way in which we speak words, for the way in which we live our life is lived for the glory of Jesus. Holy Spirit, have your way with us. We pray this all in the holy and in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.